Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When I was a kid, my dad was a cop. Then he was in forensics. Then he was a New South Wales firefighter. This season of Loose Units is called Hot Stuff Coming Through. And apart from having an incredibly cool and stupid name, it's going to reveal the untold side of being a firefighter in Australia. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to another piping hot episode of Loose Units Hot Stuff Coming Through. We are coming to you from Castaway Studios in Collingwood, Melbourne. It is so... So lovely to be back with uh, all of you listeners. I am um, Paul Verhoeven, and my dad, John Verhoeven, is sitting across from me. Dad used to be a cop, and then he was a firefighter. It's pretty terrible weather today in Melbourne, isn't it, Dad? It's appalling. Is it a... But actually pretty good for Melbourne. Oh, how dare you. Like Sydney standards. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's up. It's shitty. Are you, are you, where do you stand on the Sydney versus Melbourne feud? Uh, I love both places. Sure. Right. I love everywhere. Right. I love everyone. Fence sitter. Okay. <laughs> not taking sides one of the most enjoyable things about this season so far apart from broadcasting across from you dad is the fact that it's giving us a glimpse into a little bit of what it's like to be a firefighter like i i obviously had no idea what it was like to be a firefighter but you said one of the things you wanted to bring to the table this episode and this season was giving people a really great kind of breakdown of what it's like to be a firefighter for mm, a day. Mm. So, would you be willing to take myself and the listeners on a journey through a day in the life of a firefighter? Mm. Well, I don't have a little fire engine with me, but um, if I did, we'd all hop in and go for a spin. It's like a magic school bus situation. Mm. Are you Miss Frizzle? Are you a Miss Frizzle? You don't get no. that reference? No. Okay. <laughs> all right. So, back in the day, yeah. <clears throat> back in the 80s, um, when I was a firefighter, you'd we did two days, two nights, four off. Mm. Day shift was basically, they were 10-hour days, and then the nights were 14. So, um, Did you get paid per hour or per shift? Um, per sh- you know, we were all on an annual salary. Okay. And, you know, when the holidays had come up, you, you know, they sort of shared it around. So, if you were a family person, you had kids, they'd try and organise for you to be home for your kids and mm. the family. Mm. So, basically, let's, let's imagine you're starting at, say, 8 in the morning until 6 p.m., and the first thing you do, you'd get in about half an hour early mm. and you'd relieve, not sort of in a sexual way. <laughs> <clears throat> that sort of sounds like giving hand relief to, you know, the, the shift that are going off. But, you know, that didn't happen. <laughs> not that I not that I know of. Sure. But, um, Hot stuff yes. coming through. So what happened was the... Uh, it's very hard sitting opposite you and not losing it, Paul. Well, let me just say, in in your very... In the chair where you're sitting right now, you know, about five or six weeks ago, I sat across from Jamie from My Dad Wrote a Porno, and he read your rude stories. So, I have had peak awkward in this studio. Mm, no, I understand. Yep. So, you, you can't top that. So, don't stress. Oh, no, cool. Once the night shift 
um, have gone home, mm-hmm. the, the crew, the day shift. So you've got the motor driver yep. or the pump driver. You've got the station officer. You've got, generally speaking, two people in the back of the fire engine. Yeah. So if it's one appliance, you've got four people. If you're, if you're at a ladder or platform station, you've got a few extras. Like you'll have two extras on the, the ladders mm. or the platform. You might be rescue, so you'll have two on the rescue. You might have um, a Mercedes, like a f- uh, firefighting tanker. Hang on. Which is a massive four-wheel drive. It's a Mercedes? Mercedes. It, it, it was a Mercedes, yeah. Are you saying Mercedes? Um, Mercedes, Mercedes. I think patates, patates, but... Yeah, but it was an amazing off-road vehicle. So there were two guys that were... And you had to be qualified for all these different types of vehicles. You can't just... Your sort of -of run-of-the-mill firefighter is always rostered on the pump. So you've got to remember that the the motor driver, he obviously drives, but he also controls the, the pumps at a fire. Okay, that's all he does. Yeah, so I mean... Okay, so in the police force years, one of the interesting things for myself was finding out that the junior man was the driver, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. the driving was... I mean, for me, the driving is the most fun thing to do, you know, in my head anyway. It's the, you are you are literally driving the action, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas the senior man was next to you making, making the okay, calls. Okay, well, you've got the station officer. Yeah. Uh, he is the passenger in the front mm-hmm. and he's, he's the boss. Okay. Okay, but to, to drive a fire engine which is a very, very large vehicle, yeah. at speed with 1,800 litres of water slopping around in the back. Mm. You have to know where you're going. That is very stressful. Yeah. And you've got guys in the back or, or girls in the back of their fire engine who are trying at high speed... To get into their... To, put in to, to get their, their breathing apparatus on. Sure. So it's a little bit um, like not quite as bad, but can you imagine being in a truck trying to put scuba diving gear on? Yeah. Like it's pretty fucked up. So let's say you get to the you get to the fire station in the morning. Yep. Uh, you issue some congratulatory high fives to the uh, night shift as they as they leave. Mm. And then what happens? Like, okay, well Presuming of course that the shift isn't beginning with a fire. Mm. Well that can happen. Can it? You can be outside in the in just parking and um you can get an urgent job. I mean there's no there's no you know, it d- doesn't discriminate. It's not sort of time time proper. Has that happened to you before? Many, many times. And you'll tr- you'll, it's a bit of an awkward time if there is a major incident at the change of shift because right. what happens is you've got the guys, uh, you know, the firefighters that really, really want to go home. <laughs> oh, right. And so- then you've got the other crew. So you've got this sort of a bit of a, a, bit of a standoff. So I remember that in the, in the car park, you'd yeah. hear the bells go off and sometimes you just really take your time getting out of your... <laughs> it's true. You you'd take your time and you'd just, you'd just wait in your car until the fire engine took off <laughs> knowing that all those poor guys and girls that had just done... 14 hours mm. and they could have been up all night if, if, if they were at a busy station you know I mean the most jobs that I ever did yeah. at the Rocks fire station which is in Sydney um, it's sort of at the entrance to the southern side of the Harbour Bridge mm. uh, it was New Year's Eve I could do a whole we could do a whole podcast on that one shift do you want to? Mm, we'll, we'll come to it later in fact it's great sitting opposite you and seeing your reaction oh, and, and it's a story that I hadn't Remembered until just you know what, Paul. Next episode, mm. let's talk about that one particular horrendous shift. Okay, on a hot New Year's Eve mm-hmm. in Sydney. I'm so excited. Okay, next week sorted. But for now, you. <laughs> I, first of all, let's just wind back a little bit. I've worked in retail many times. I've had a lot of you know shitty jobs. It sounds, it sounds like the difference in behaviour 
is is no different in the fire brigade when things are very high stakes. The idea of you sort of just dragging your feet so you don't have to attend a fire as as the shift is beginning. I mean, is that the kind of behaviour you engaged in or did you see other people do it? No, no. I think in fairness, mm. I'm not sure what it's like today, but I would imagine, and we might get some feedback, that yep. I think it's pretty, well, human nature to just... You know, look, the thing is, if you have just got out of your car or, you, or you're getting out of your car, because all, pretty well all fire stations, um, or a lot of them, have got car parks for the fireys. Mm. The, you know, the bells are loud. They're designed to be able to be heard throughout the entire station. And at the back of the station, we've got the hose whips where you hang up, um, you know, all the wet hoses to dry. Mm. I mean, wherever you are on that on that property, you really do need to hear the bells. Sure. That's why if you leave the station to run up the road to grab a coffee or or some food, mm. you must take a radio with you. Okay. And um, at one fire station that I worked at in Forestville, they had an old-fashioned, genuine air raid siren. Whoa. And that was to call the volunteers in that were in the suburb in days gone by. And right. occasionally we used to let this thing go and it was, it was, it was eerie. It was like being... I can imagine it was like being in London during the air raids. During the Blitz. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Okay, so putting aside for a second the fact that you very clearly occasionally dragged your feet, and that's very funny, mm. you're in the station now. Yep. Now, this is probably a silly question, but I think it's worth just establishing. What are you wearing when you're not wearing the actual okay, uniform? Okay, great question. So you wear part of the uniform. Sure. So in in the day when I was in the fire brigade, we had those massive, um, initially, the lion tamer suit that yep. I explained with the brass buttons. Mm-hmm. So you'd have your tunic um, and your, your helmet, mm. and you'd, what you do is you'd, gather all that type of gear and you'd roll it up and you'd have it on the... If you were the motor driver, you'd have it on the motor driver's seat. Mm-hmm. And if you're in the back, you just put it on the seat where you would sit okay. en route to a fire or, yeah. or a call or whatever. Mm. But you'd still wear your boots and your long black pants. So we used to tuck the pants down into our boots. Mm-hmm. And then later on in the brigade, our uniform changed. But the thing is, you'd always be wearing your pants. Uh, today, they wear a T-shirt, braces... Uh, to hold the pants up, uh, they've got their working boots, and they're in their entire kit, yeah. bar the jacket and their incredibly heavy helmet. Interesting, which is on on the pump. Yeah. Okay, but when you actually commence shift, it's like in the movies where everything's on pegs in the engine bay, or oh. it used to be in the engine bay. It was really it was. Look, you'd have your fire engine in the engine bay, and yeah. then down either side you had the pegs with your name, and you had all your gear. Well, that was my next question. Is it just grab any helmet, or is it all... <clears throat> no way. Okay. No, you've, you've got your own designated gear. Yep. But look, a lot of stuff has to happen You know, at the beginning of the shift. Mm. If you're the motor driver, you have to check a lot of gear, make sure everything's on the pump. Mm-hmm. You have to check all the, um, the breathing apparatus to make sure that all the cylinders are full. You have to check your OxyViva to make sure you've got enough pure oxygen. You've got to check all the rescue gear, yep. and there's a lot of rescue gear you use. You have to check the pump. So you get the pump to work at the back. So to do that, you've got to hop in the driver's seat, turn the engine on, and I assume that it's very similar now to what, to what it was when I was in the job. Mm. And you actually fire up the engine. You then disengage the drive shaft and because the, the pump at the back, the, the big water pumps, yeah. they're actually working off the... The engine's driving them. Okay. So the engine can't actually be in gear. Otherwise, you'd be left at the back of a fire engine and it'd take off and probably travel across the road, you know, kill people, go into houses, Jesus. be a fuck-up. Okay. So you disengaged all that. 
and you check that you've got one of the most important things is you make sure the first aid tank is full. When you say first aid tank, what do you mean? That's the um, 1,800 litres of water in the pump Mm -hmm. that you use when you first get to a job. Okay, so if it's a motor vehicle accident and there's a chance of the cars or car catching on fire, you provide uh, the fireys with what's called a charged line. So that's a line that they just have to pick it up, pull the nozzle back, it's the like lever. You, you've loaded the gun for them. It's so loaded. Okay. It's ready to go. Yeah. And then what you do is you've got to make sure that you've got all, you know, the, the, the fire engine has to be absolutely A1, mm. ready to go. <clears throat> and you've got to also make sure there's fuel. It sounds silly, but, you know, you might have to go to the, the petrol station. So you might organise to go out that morning and fill her up. These are really, really important things. Would it not make more sense to have a fuel pump at the fire station? Um, Given that it's a good, good give, question. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, look, they just use the local fire. Because um, I, ne- I, I mean, listeners, I don't know whether you've seen this before, but I've never seen a fire engine pull into a petrol station. No, it happens all the time. But if I did, I think I'd shit my pants and assume that the, the petrol station was about to go up and the fire... Because wherever a... Do you ever get that feeling? And you're, a, you're an ex-cop, but when you see a police car pull up or a fire engine pull up, uh, I'm assuming what your reaction internally is different to those of other people. For example, if you're someone who's been in trouble with the law and a police car pulls up, you get your hackles up. If you're an arsonist and a fire engine pulls up, you get a weird, you know, you get that guilt. Um, You'd probably get an erection. Well, sure, we can talk about that later in the show Mm. about arsonists being weird. But when you have a fire engine pull up at a petrol station, I mean... I've never ever heard anyone talk about it like that. I've never seen it. <clears throat> mm. I never even. I, so I, where did you think they got their petrol, petrol, their diesel? I, don't know, I thought though it, it, it congealed in them magically. Because you told me something fascinating, and um, listeners, I'm not sure if you know this, but you've mentioned the fact that out the front of fire stations, there's a there's a button that will control the traffic lights mm. to let the fire engine peel out of there. Because you, can you imagine, Melbourne listeners, imagine if there was a fire um, station on Punt Road and it was peak hour. I mean, no one would ever get their fires put out. But not only that, not only do you have to be able to let the fire engines get out, yeah. you've also got to let the fire engines get back in. Oh, good point, yeah. So what happens is generally fire is um, they'll pull up at the outside the fire station when they've come back from a fire call. Mm-hmm. Everyone gets out by the driver. The lights change, which are activated from inside the station, mm. and then the fiery will pull out wide into the, on, into the traffic that's waiting. Yeah. And, then, and all fire engines are reversed into engine bays. And when you're when you're reversing platform or ladders, yeah. and I guess to a slightly lesser extent a fire engine, it's super, super tight. It's precision driving. Yeah. And we used to get what was called a 106 in the New South Wales Fire Brigades, where you always had to have a fiery at the back. Every time you put that pump into reverse, mm-hmm. you had to have a fireman in your rear vision mirror that you could see and he guides you back. That, that was just an, an extra thing that we used to do in the fire brigade. Okay. It was called a 106. Okay. Um, anyway, so back to the, uh, the station. Oh, yes. Yes. So you've got all your fireys. The station officer goes downstairs. He, he attends to paperwork and all the sort of stuff that he has to do, ordering, etc. Mm-hmm. The big stations, uh, I'm not quite sure what it's like now, but we used to have what was called a watch room. And in that watch room, you had what was called a transponder board, which was all the local alarms would come through. And you had a fireman in that room 24 hours a day i'm quite sure that's changed now okay so once the pumps are sorted you've got all your gear ready then you go upstairs 
And what's upstairs? It's like a home away from home. You've got bedrooms, kitchen, bedrooms, dining room, lounge room. Is it a communal bunk space it kind used, of thing? Uh, at um, at Crow's Nest Fire Station, where I used to work when I first joined the job, and then if you were fortunate, you had there were sort of smaller rooms, but that was like a rank thing, you know, seniority. Right. Oh, like um, on a like on a. <laughs> so when you first come into the fire station from the academy, you are absolutely at the bottom of the shitter. What rank is that? Are there it's, ranks? Yeah, but yeah, hardly worth talking about. You don't <laughs> remember, a, do you? No, I do. What's the, what rank was it? You're a firefighter. <laughs> you don't know. I do, Paul. It's well, yeah, the sergeant and cadet. Paul, you have you have first class firemen, senior firefighters, senior like the Q man, which is like three stripes. And, and no, you know what? Let's no, let, that, those aren't fun. Let's come up with okay, okay. So you start off first rank is flame boy, and then you're um, and you have to work your way up to turbo hottie. I just think we should have some fun names. Mm, well. Yeah, whatever. What did you make? What rank did you make it to? Just uh, senior firefighter. So, that really? Yeah, it used to take nine years to. I think it was nine years. Oh God! It should be like anyway. Taekwondo, where there's different coloured belts. You know. Look, uh, the rank structure is very important. Um, anyway, so you're all upstairs and having breakfast and just uh, chilling. What's the vibe like up there? It's it's chilled. It's relaxed. Because I mean, like men's hygiene isn't great. I can imagine. No, it is. It men's hygiene is great. In fire stations, they're immaculate. Oh, trust me. Four platoons, that, the place is kept, it's spotless. Yeah. Remember how in the police force, yeah. we used to have this that particular sergeant at Mossman yes. that had the contract, mm. and he used to he used to get all the, the police. Well, that happens, but but not in, in that way, in that every fire station is responsible for its own cleanliness. Mm-hmm. So what happens is around about maybe 8.30, every morning, um, the entire shift did station duties, which meant vacuuming, cleaning all the toilets, absolutely making the place pristine. Yeah. I mean, it was really immaculate. You always had to, at the end of every shift, you had to leave that station spotless for the oncoming shift. Have you ever seen Hornblower? There is something that you are describing about the way this group is functioning that is incredibly naval. The idea that senior ranks get their own private quarters, the other men have to bunk up together. Every, uh, you know. Well, do- it depends on what station. Oh, so it's the, okay. So because all stations are different. Now you worked at a, a variety of stations. I did. Yep. I didn't know, for example, that you worked at the Rocks. That is news to me. Hmm. I was a little kid when you were in the fire brigade, as opposed to basically a fetus when you were in the police force. Hmm. So I remember some of this. Um, but what was, would you say, the like the tightest, cleanest, sharpest uh, station that you worked at? If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Every single fire station is is always is pretty well the same. There was they're the, all immaculate. Okay. All the vacuuming, you know, all the bathrooms, the toilets, um, everything is absolutely spot on. That's interesting. And you you know, and, and and everyone works hard and look, you can't afford to be a slacker in the fire brigade. In a in a in a, in a group team mm. environment, um, you know, everyone pulls their weight. How much of the conscientiousness in terms of cleanliness and things like that do you think have to do with the abundance of free time that you had? Well, look, you you get away with doing all the station work in the morning. Yeah. And then around about maybe 10 a.m., mm-hmm. you'd go for a, for a drive. What do you mean? you just go cruising. But in the police force, you said that you would do a thing called fishing, which is where you and your partner, sometimes that was Julian, would basically hoof it around and try and generate your own work. Now... You can't do that in the fire brigade. You can't drive around looking for fires. So what's the driving aid of? To get out of the station. Otherwise, you go stir crazy. Okay. <laughs> and you go down and get coffee and you might... And, you just, and, and you're just you also familiarizing yourself with your local area, which yes. is really important. I used to work at um, Video Easy in Manly and we would have a uh, discount for the uh, fire station, which was at the top of what hill was that in Manly? That, that was Manly Fire Station. Yeah, Manly Fire Station, up the hill. And the firefighters would come down during their shifts mm. and we would have a special discount for them. And they would basically just churn through mm. entire TV shows just because they needed something to well, do. Well, that came after lunch, around <laughs> about, say, one till four. <laughs> movie, movie. No, it is. Look, you'd go into the... Every every fire station has a TV and it, generally a bloody good one. It sounds like a fucking sleepover camp. Well, and the, the lights would be dimmed. There, there were comfy chairs. You. In fact, there were recliners it's in some... Con. Hang on, now what, what's a con? <laughs> no, look, you have to look after firemen. I trust know, me. I know. I'm just joking. Now, the thing about all this conversation we're having, mm. the thing we need to talk about mm. is that that's one side. Yeah. But you also did brigade brigade exercises. Sure. So if you're a ladder driver, mm. which I was, great story about how that happened. Um, really difficult to become a ladder driver. Well, let's yeah. we can get onto that later. Yeah, yeah. Let's just, okay. You know what? But the, of- but the thing is, Paul, everything I'm saying. Yeah. Is great, except when the bells go off. Now, that's what I wanted to do. So, just cast your eye. Okay, listeners and dad, imagine, for for example, you've gone for your drive, you come back, you've had some lunch. Let's say it's two in the afternoon. You're back in the station. Everything's clean. Everything's logged. The fire engine's ready to go. And then the unthinkable happens. A uh, An alarm goes off. And let's say, for argument's sake, it's not a drill. Well, you don't know. You don't know what, where you're going, what you're going to. You might get a bit of an idea. It might say automatic fire alarm, which I guess back in the day, I'd say 70% of every job was an automatic fire alarm. And the problem with that is that you then become apath- apathetic. Yeah. And occasionally you go to an AFA and you catch the lift up, which you shouldn't do to the actual floor, but occasionally fireys do it. And they uh, and the door opens and there's the whole, it's called a flame over or 
a flash flash over where the entire floor sort of simultaneously ignites mm. and um, and it's on for young and old because you thought, well, it's just another automatic fire alarm and uh, yeah. So, okay. you know, you've got to be careful or, or the, all these car accidents you go to, a lot of them are just no person injured, just, you know, fuel on the roadway. But the thing is when you're at the fire station and those bells go off, yes. no matter what you're doing, you could be having a massive shift. <laughs> Seriously. Dropping the kids no, 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 the it doesn't matter what you're doing. You could be right, whatever, uh, and when those bells go off, yep. you go straight into the mode you, of being a professional firefighter, and you drop everything, and occasionally there'll be a uh, a pole at a fire station uh-huh. where you just lunge out like in, a, I think, in a Batman film. As you pull the head back on the bus, press the red button, the bookshelf slides apart, you slide down the pole towards your vehicle. Now, what's the pole etiquette? Let's say there's... Lunge for the pole. No, but who goes first? Well, the per- the person the person that's at the pole. It's not first. a rank. It's not a rank thing. No, no, no. Do you reckon you could get on someone's back and you both go down together? Wee! Why no. didn't? You- Let me ask you a question. You got a son. You know he's he's an impressionable lad. You have a you you have access to a fireman's pole. Why didn't you at any point bring me to work and let me slide down that thing? Pole, because it's not for fun. It fucking is. No, it's it's serious. The pole is serious. It's fun. Grow up. They installed a pole at. Um, I think I mentioned this. Not sure whether it was a live show or on a podcast, but they installed a pole at Glebe Fire Station, uh-huh. and the head of occupational health and safety. I have told you this story. Have you? She wanted to test the pole, so she lunged out, grabbed the pole, slid down, broke her ankle. Okay, so they're not super safe. Look, you've got to be. It's got to be a controlled descent. So you just can't grease it first. No, you'd you'd get down really, really quickly, but you couldn't stop. <laughs> you'd explode. On- and the other thing, Paul, <laughs> is that the objective with a pole is to get you down really, really quickly, yeah. and then be able to actually stand up or you know and get on with what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> Twelve ruined men <laughs> screaming. Look, actually, you know, I'm not sure what the protocols with poles are these days. I don't even know whether they've still got them, but they tried them out. And I know they got rid of them for a while, then they tried them again. But yep. look, they make good sense. But I guess at two in the morning, if you lunged and missed, that'd be pretty fucked up. Yeah. But it, things could happen on stairs because most fire stations are two-story. In the, fact, Manly's three-story. It's a big building, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so what happens is you run downstairs yep. and everyone piles into the watch room and there's a huge map. Now, again, I'm not sure what it's like with GPS, etc. Mm. now, mm-hmm. but back in when I was a fireman... Every single watch room had a massive map of their area yep. and adjoining areas. And you would locate, because the, the machine is, is spitting out um, this sort of reams of paperwork, giving you all the information on what's happening, where to go, blah, blah, blah. It's the motor driver who's not only responsible, well, he's, in, he's entirely responsible for the pump yeah. and driving, but he's also he or she is also very much responsible for getting you all safely to the right location. Okay. Very, very embarrassing if you've got, and really dangerous if you've got a major incident. And I remember in Manly one night I was the driver and I there happened to be two streets with the same name mm-hmm. and I rocked up to the wrong street oh, and it was a pretty bad job. And fortunately, the station officer, he he didn't sort of get the shits too bad because if he got the shits, then that'd stress me out. So you've got to kind of... Look, what happens is you figure out where you're going, what you're going to, you mentally prepare yourself. Um, if you're in the back of the pump, 
you'll hop in either side. And depending on where you're sitting de- determines on what your role is. Okay. The people in the back of the fire engine, for everyone's, uh, for all the listeners, their primary role, they're the firefighters that are going to go into the fire. Okay. Just those two. The station officer will never go into the fire or very rarely. He will stand or she will stand outside and get a sense of what's happening. He'll direct the fire he's in. Yep. And the pump driver, oh boy, that's so stressful. His job, remember how you've got 1,800 litres of water in the back? Yes. So he will give the two fireys that go in, he gives them the water. Mm. But you've only got a few minutes. So imagine going into a burning building, fully alight. Yeah. You know you've got this water and at a certain point during that fire you will feel the pressure change and you'll know that the the driver has managed to locate a hydrant and get water in from the mains through the pump, uh-huh. generally pump up the pressure and then you're sweet. Once you're onto a main, you have unlimited water. Okay. Yeah, and then you've got all the different types of jobs. You've got motor vehicle accidents, people trapped. You might go to. Uh, you might be just driving along in a fire engine and you get flagged over. Someone's had a heart attack, and you've got all the good gear on board. Firefighters are very well trained in first aid. Now you said first aid before. You said first aid is the also the name for the water in the mm. tank. Mm. So you can't just like hose the body and hope that it comes to life, can you? No, but you, but you do hose mm, dead bodies. Not not. I mean, you mean fuck, ho- that sounded fucked, didn't it? No, but I mean. You know, body parts that are like intestines and entrails and brain matter occasionally gets caught up in the in the bitumen. You might have to hose that. That's a great image. Okay, so I think what we've done is we've gotten excited and run off in a, in a different direction. Oh, not really, but I mean, okay, so last we were with you on the um, day in the life kind of story. You're sitting in, well, we are all sitting in the control in, what, what's that room called with the map? The map room? <laughs> the control room? Help me out. Um... You don't know. Fuck. You said it before. You knew what it was then. Yeah. Dad's been up since 3 a.m. He's jet lagged. That's yeah. okay. Okay. So you're in that room with the map. Um, let's say, for example, that the fire location has been uh, pointed out. What happens then? Because we haven't gotten to the part where everyone piles. Oh, okay. Cool. Sorry. So yeah, everyone gets gets into their respective uh, position. Driver, station officer, and the two people in the back. They've Sometimes gra- three. In the city, you might have three or four fires in the back. They've grabbed their stuff off their hooks. And- yeah. They're kitted there. They've got it all on the seat. Well, that's how what we used to do. Okay, okay. And you just throw your tunic on yep. and your helmets in and you put everything on. And um, as you're heading to the job, they might say, for example, they might say, smoke shoeing. You, you might hear the first fire engine rock up and they go, make stations five. So they're going, fuck, it's a big job. If they say make stations three, four, five, you know that it's a real fire. Generally, you'll... Um, you might, I think I've mentioned this before that fires often stick their heads out the window on the way so they can smell the smoke. Is that like where dogs stick their heads out the window? Because um, all the chemicals in the air are like drugs to a dog, so they they're actually getting well, high on the way. Yeah, well, you're not you're not getting high, but you're getting a sense of what what type. Because if it's a chemical incident, you've got you can smell it. A whole lot of other problems to consider. What's the difference? Um, is there any is there any way for listeners, for example, to uh, see smoke? And tell what kind of a fire it is. Yeah, if you've got very, very dark smoke, yeah. the fire is generally in, in the initial phase and it's not being fought because once you add water to fire, steam, steam and that lightens it up and then it's so... Generally, you can look at a fire and if it's super black, it's, yep. it's, it's, it's on for young and old, okay. like, a, like a factory fire or a tyre factory, um, major chemical incident, really, really bad shit. Mm-hmm. It's, it's generally black. Um, generally, I say not not always. Yeah. And then after a while, if if you as a member of the public see that the f- the smoke starting to sort of lighten up into like cloud color, mm. you can assume 
nine times out of ten it's being fought. that it's being fought, so and, for, and they're putting a lot of water on it. So the recent um, bushfires where the smoke was basically covering capital cities for for weeks on end. I mean, that was like you said, cloud coloured. Is that mm. if, if it oh, ha- a little bit different with bush? It depends on the trees, the leaves. Okay. Um, you know, there's so much. It's a big, big topic in itself. Sure. But um, you're rocking up. You sort of you're heading out, and then the guys in the back are putting on their breathing apparatus. Yeah. And they're and, and they they they're getting really really ready to go. And then what they do is, at the assuming it's a fire, mm. they rock up, and their sole job, depending on what they're told, is to if you're the first there, you'll go in if it's safe. Like if if it's a house fire, yeah, you actually go into the burning house. And um, you know they might say someone might run out and say, look, there's someone. There are kids inside. Or you might hear people screaming inside, and and you can see the the flames licking out the windows, breaking, mm. might be coming through the roof, through the tiles, and you know you've got a really really serious incident, and you and you you get your breathing apparatus on, super stressful, and you've got to um, you got to go in. I've pulled out dead people. Right, so a bit late then. Yeah, a bit late. Okay. You generally find after the fire, you can find um, generally children, for example, they'll. Quite often you find them in inside cupboards, in the kitchen or, you know, under beds, deceased. And you found them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In those... What does that do to you psychologically? Well, it's very distressing, obviously, but, you know, you just um, get it, get on with it. You can't... I mean, not everyone can move on, but... I mean, did you ever work with people who had to bounce from the job just because of trauma? I've worked with um, firefighters that have... Um, you know, completely lost the plot Okay. during fires. During fires. Mm. We, we can talk about that in a future episode, I think. Mm. Okay, so let's say you've put the fire out, right? Let's say it was a small house fire, you've put the fire out. Generally speaking, how much of the house are you hoping to save? I assume your objective is not to, not so much to save someone's property, but to stop it from spreading. Is that correct? You've got to look at the fire not spreading to other houses. Mm-hmm. But look, at you. if a fire really gets going in a house... yeah. It's pretty difficult to uh, to save the house, and then there's so much water damage as well, yeah, which creates uh, you know in itself all sorts of problems. Too. Right, but once it's done, once you're finished putting the fire out, yep. How do you get like what happens then? What okay, you-, you just pack all your gear up. Yeah, everything's soaking wet. Uh-huh. You go back to the fire station, and you the pump driver will fill the first aid tank. Right. At that job, yep. at the end. Oh, interesting. So, from let's say you're hooked up to the hydrant, you you obviously while you're connected to the main, he will backfill in case something happens on the way back. Correct, because you could you could just take off and yeah. it, and it's on for young and old. Okay. So you can never be guaranteed. Yeah. So you always fill at at the scene at the end of the job. Yep. Then then you uh, head back to the station. Then you've got to get all the wet gear off, and that's a shitty job. Okay. What, what you do is you might have ten lengths of hose, yeah, which is three hundred meters. Of 70 millimetre hose, that's really, really thick. Imagine 70 millimetre core of solid water going into a fire. Jesus. I've been to fires where that 70 millimetre core vaporises prior to getting to the seat of the fire. Holy shit. It turns to steam. Because of the heat. Because of the heat. That's fucking intense. So, um, anyway, so what you do out the back of the fire station, you then connect all the hoses together yep. in like numerous sort of S's and then you connect it to a hydrant mm-hmm. and you run water through the entire thing for uh-huh. a while. You then get these big sort of brooms and you scrub the hoses. Really? Yep. And then you get all the water out of the hose and then you disconnect. Then you connect them to what's called a hose whip 
which is like a telegraph pole. And I've seen those. Yep. When, when I was a kid, we'd come to visit you occasionally and I saw them. It was, yeah, it was like a flagpole or a telegraph pole. Mm, mm. And they were kind of strung up, you know, like a, like a 45 degree angle. Mm, mm. Uh, and then they just dry. And like they dry laundry. and they take days to dry. Right. <clears throat> and then you've got what's called sort of a hose bank where you might have spare hose because you've got to re-load um, the fire so. engine up with new hose. Yeah. So that you're, you've always got to be in a state of readiness. Yeah. All right. You can't just go out and and leave anything to chance. Mm. You and, and there are, there can be dire circumstances. And you can't. You've always got that one friend who has a filthy car. You know, with his clothes piled on the back and old laundry. And you know, I guess a fire engine. It's something. There's something comforting to know that the whole thing is running like a well-oiled mm. machine. I and guess. it has to. In another episode, we might talk about me being a relieving firefighter, okay. where I'd work all over Sydney. Yeah. And I think back then there were around about. 75 fire stations mm-hmm. and every single shift I could be at a different fire station. I remember, so you, yeah. d- you, you don't know. That's why like in the military, it doesn't matter what ship you're on. There are systems yep. and there's rank structure and you know that wherever you go to a station, you might not know anyone. You don't know the area. But it's a universal system and you should be able to plug in like it should be modular. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, that that was really good. I feel like I've learned a lot. Uh, and I hope you have too, listeners. I hope you feel like, you know, I'm not saying we could step into your boots at any point and kind of pick things up, but it's nice to actually know how it works. Um, so we hope you enjoyed our day in the life of a firefighter. Next week, Dad actually mentioned something during this episode. I'm sure you picked up on it. He mentioned uh, one particular shift in which a lot of things happened. Next week, we are going to go incredibly like tight. We're going to zoom in on that one shift and we're going to take a look at one very specific shift in dad's time as a firefighter. If you haven't already done so, make sure you check out our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash loose units, because guess what? The second loose units book, which is called Electric Blue, is being published this year. Uh, it's coming out through Penguin Publishing. It's finished and it, it's finished. It's 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 all go, and um, we'll have more news on it very very soon. So make sure you keep your eyes peeled. If you haven't already done so, also please do us a favor. If you like this show, and we really hope you do, head across to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. And one of the best things you can do is pick an episode that you enjoy, that you particularly like, and recommend that episode to your friends. You know, um, whether it's during the police years, the forensics years, or it's from the fire brigade episodes. We've just had such a great time doing this show and we would love you to share it with people. So, yeah, we'll see you next week for another episode of Loose Units. Hot stuff coming through. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.